When I first got to Cambridge I realised we're going to have to work hard to do well here but I thought that there was such an opportunity to do more than just the curriculum there. When uh, business took off I spent more time on that and then I felt a lot of pressure actually when I left uni and decided to go full time in the festival. Chris Jammer. Chris Jammer. Chris Jammer. The reason why we're having a great time. Like the last few years doing festivals have been really tough. I've learned a lot about the wider industry and, and how the music industry operates. We sold part of the business to Sony over Covid as well so I've been able to see that and then the live events industry itself so I'm having a, a great time with it and I think there's still more we can do but I think I need to expand my horizons slightly because as I say like this is kind of a big redefining moment because a lot of this has been done with friends and I've lived my life with my best friends doing this is this what I really want to do forever Welcome to the Redefined podcast brought to you by The One Club, the world's first invite-only digital private members club. The ambition of this podcast is to explore the untold stories of entrepreneurs, athletes, influencers and more. I guess, Chris, before we jump in, um, this whole series is about redefinition. So I guess, like, what does redefinition mean for you? Oh, you went deep straight away. Well, we have to go deep straight away. <laughs> um, I think redefinition for me has has changed over the years. A lot of a lot of my career, I've been re redefining myself um, based on what others see of Chris, um, and and that, that's taken many different kind of um, form. It's, for, it's formed itself in very many different ways. But I think now, I think redefining is is an, is an internal process, um, and it's kind of evaluating where you're at with life and um, looking to see where that's going to take you into the future and, and I think it's something that we should all go through multiple times during this existence we have here. Has that, has that definition changed I guess like from because you went through a redefinition phase during like childhood as well right so has that, has that definition changed throughout your life? Yeah totally as, as I said I, I, there was a period of my life probably 18 until quite recently where I was redefining for what others saw of me. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's multiple places in this story where we could probably touch on where I've, I've decided to change what I'm doing, what direction I'm in, but um, there has always been constants with that, and I think it's, it's about kind of yeah, trying to tell that story and move forward with uh, purpose and progress. Was, was university one of, those, one of those phases? Uh, university was... Yeah, it was a redefinition. I think um, I went to Cambridge Uni. I studied land economy. Um, I went there because my family had gone to Cambridge. Um, fourth generation, actually, at that college. Um, my dad went there. My mum and her grand, her dad and her father. So, um, yeah, that was always. I was always built up to go there in a way. I went to state school. Um, earned my place in it. It wasn't a kind of a. What's the word you? Uh, I'm looking for. Um, it, was, it, was, it was based, I, did, I got there on merit, I did, did, did well at school, I tried very hard and worked very hard, but when I got there I realised that I don't know if this was actually for me, I, I felt like a bit of an oddball, um, there wasn't many people from, from state school there, um, and I had very different interests to, to what everyone else wanted to do, I thought I studied land economy because I thought I wanted to be a banker, but actually I had no interest in, in that at all, it wasn't, it wasn't the path I wanted to choose and hence why I've ended up in this current field of career. So when did you kind of decide you wanted to go, I guess, like, against the grain, I guess, because you, as you said, like, generations, you went to Cambridge Uni, and I guess that you went 
to Cambridge with the ambition of becoming a banker, but that's not what happened. So at what stage in your life did you decide, well, at, at university, did you decide to go against the grain? I think it was probably in my second year when everyone was applying for their banking internships. Um, I mean, when I first got to Cambridge, I realised there was, there was, you were going to have to work hard to do well here. Um, but I thought that there was such an opportunity to do more than just, just the curriculum there. Um, and yeah, it was in my second year where I really decided that I'm not going to just be what, what my family or my dad wanted me to be. And I, I just started running kind of club nights and done my first festival. Um, so there was like a route that I felt more comfortable with me and I didn't have to fall into this um, hamster wheel, which I kind of see it as. But um, yeah, it was second year of university for sure. Was there any like pressure, I guess, like from, from parents or external, like society? Like you, you go to Cambridge and it, something's kind of expected of you, right? To become a certain profession. Did, was it difficult, I guess, like pivoting away from that? Yeah, definitely. I think I felt pressure at a number of points. I think um, I, stopped, I stopped caring as much about my studies. I, wanted to, I went in there with the ambition to get a first and did really well in my first year. And then when um, business took off, I spent more time on that. Um, and then I felt a lot of pressure actually when I left uni and decided to go full time in the festival. Living at home, not making much money at all. My dad just seeing me almost throw this, this um, amazing opportunity away. Um, was, he, was he angry? I mean, he wasn't angry. He was just more like, I could feel, uh, he's a Nigerian dad, I don't know if anybody, if anybody here understands, but like, I'd done all that work to get to where he wanted me to be, and then it was just like, what, what are you doing? I was, I, at the time when I left uni, I could only afford to, I didn't even have a monthly wage, I was uh, taking home about 300 quid a month out of the business and, yeah. and trying to make ends meet, um, but I was enjoying what I was doing, and, and I think after a while, the festival got to a level where he could come and see that I was onto something, um, and then once he saw that, the pressure kind of subsided. And I owe a lot to him for that because it's not easy as a Nigerian parent to, to, to let your child go off. off, off Before we go into that, I guess, like, what, what is the story behind Strawberries and Cream for people who don't know? So Strawberries and Cream was basically me and a group of friends trying to bring something different to Cambridge. So when I got there, there was club nights happening, but it was all kind of like Arctic monkeys and... ABBA and it just wasn't, it wasn't, for, wasn't for me and I'd, I'd taken a year off, I'd been in the London music space and I felt at the time that there was a real shift in what popular music culture was going to be about and this was kind of at the time when grime music was just about taking off so we were in there with a lot of artists, we were booking people like the likes of Big Nasty you see on TV all the time, we booked him for about a couple hundred quid to play our, our show, Lethal Bizzle, Temper T, these, these sort of like Household names now, but at the time they were still very much underground. So we were bringing that sound to Cambridge. Um, we're running weekly club events, um, number of weekly club events. And then Cambridge, at the end of year, there's a, something called May Week. So everyone basically lets their hair down and go crazy for, for a week. And the, the colleges put on these really grand balls. Um, you pay like £250 a ticket. You have like oysters and champagne and they book amazing artists and it's all black tie. And it's all very prim and proper and formal. And I was just like, let's just do something a little bit more accessible, cooler. Um, and then, yeah, I started selling tickets to Strawberries and Cream Festival, which I didn't have any, I didn't have land booked, I didn't have artists booked, I didn't have anything booked. I just knew I could sell tickets. So 
we sold tickets to this event that was happening. Very fire festival-ish, actually, when I tell this story. But um, the money was coming in, and, and off that we could book. So, yeah, and the first event was a, a great success. I think Dave in the audience was, was there at my first one. Um, I was one of the more drunk people on the site at the time. But we, had got, we, had, we were onto something, and the city seemed to be receptive to it. What did the first like, festival look like? like I, I've seen some photos. <laughs> it looks really makeshift, but that's the beauty of it as well, right? Yeah, the first festival, the stage was about the same size. I could touch the top of the stage with my hand. I was making the strawberries and cream signs in my uni room. Um, it was all, like, we put everything together. I, I was moving toilets around. I was putting up the fence line. I was, we were getting the bars in. We actually thought we could do all the food on site and thought for some reason that everyone on site was going to want two burgers and a hot dog. So I ordered thousands of burgers and um, ended up with thousands of burgers left in the fridge at the end of the day. But like you learn, um, but we were literally, we, we did everything at that time. There's so many like things that can go wrong with the festival, right? Like there's just so many small, I, I, Chris and I were talking about, I guess like events and planning things before. And I like personally, I've planned things so much smaller and still there's so many, so many small logistical things that can go wrong like last minute and this was the first time you were doing it right and you had all these people that had bought tickets um so like did anything go wrong like was it all okay apart, apart from the burger situation apart, apart from burger gate yeah i think we had, it was a successful event and like it, we we'd, we'd done something quite unique and and it allowed us to build build year on year from that and i think the thing with us, we, we, were, we were organic with our growth. We didn't try and overshoot the mark. Um, in our second year, we actually booked Skepta for, I mean, most people know Skepta is, we only paid about £5,000 for him at the time. Um, now, I tried to book him last year, and he was multi-million um, for, for, for a show. And like, We booked him just as his come-up was happening. Um, he had just dropped his album, Shutdown, which went to number one. He was performing on stage at the Brits with... Um, someone I can't really name anymore. Um, but um, he had kind of taken off and he shot our ticket sales through the roof. But we had a capacity of 2,500. He would have probably sold more than that at the time, but we just stuck to that and, and kind of grew within our means. And that was, that was the case the whole way through until um, to more recent years. And I guess, like, what was the... So you talked about, like, I guess what could, what could have gone wrong, but what were the other sort of, like, major challenges after the first one when it came to actually, like, doing the second one and scaling up? Um, there is more financial risk on, on all of them. I think when there's a big swing on it, you have to hit ticket targets. Um, that's always a big worry, worry doing every event. Um, I mean, I, you'd be here all night if I go into what could go wrong with the festival. Um, anything can go wrong at any time. There's so many people um, under your kind of care that you have to look out for on the day, but just in the, in the lead up to it there's I, I've, you'd have to be specific and ask but yeah anything can go wrong with the festival when you when you first started you started with i'm assuming like uni friends right but when you wanted to kind of like more formalize it into a legitimate business was was it challenging i guess working with friends you know i have a lot of friends within business they they started with friends and then like ended up falling out or, or it goes the other way like sometimes it really it's really successful so what was the experience there um, we've been very lucky with, with how this... We actually all became friends through the club nights. So actually my best friend, Priye, at the time... Well, he's still my best friend, but um, he didn't like me because um, he was one of the only black guys at Cambridge and then I came along and he thought I was going to steal all his girls and he was like, this guy can't be involved. 
Little did you know later that I didn't swing that way, so we ended up being best mates anyway. Um, but we, we, we formed our friendship through business, and there's always been a, a real level of respect there. Um, in more recent years, as the business has grown, it's become more challenging, and people want different things from their life going forward from that. So, I mean, this year more so than ever, we've kind of not been aligned in where we want the business to go, and that's been tough, but we've formed such a, a, a strong bond that... We, we never really, I, I've never fallen out with anyone from, from, from the business and that's been um, a good strength of ours. So I guess that leads me on to where do you want the business to go? Where do you want strawberries and cream to go next? Um, I, I've, to be honest, I've achieved what I wanted to achieve with strawberries and cream. Um, we're a, a national festival, kind of, it's, it's a mainstay in the festival circuit. I've done some groundbreaking um, projects, I've worked with some amazing um, brands, I've booked everybody in the UK that I wanted to book. Um, so if it didn't come back tomorrow, I wouldn't cry over it. Um, but in saying that, there's so much more I want to do with the brand outside of just a festival. Um, we've always been about, we always do smaller um, touch point activations throughout the year. I've, I'd love to build it into an online platform, I'd love to take it globally. Um, and all those discussions are happening, but um, again, we have to all align on, on where we want to do, when we want to go. And also, there's, it's not just strawberries and cream in our business anymore. There's the Cambridge Club as well. So that takes up, um, it's, it's a bigger festival now than strawberries and cream, so it takes up a lot of time. And you have this other venture as well, um, Safe Spaces. So, yeah, what, what's that all about as well? I know we talked before, and it's a, I know it's a project you're like massively proud of. Yeah, so the Safe Spaces project was something I coined um, over COVID. Um, Basically, we've always pushed a gender-balanced lineup um, because the industry is, is, it struggles with putting enough female talent on the bill. Um, so since 2018, we've always had an equal balanced lineup. But I wanted to take that further. Um, and I was actually made aware of some statistics that 40% of women um, at go to, go, go to live events are sexually harassed in some way. So I, as, a, as a guy, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that, and I wanted to, wanted to do something um, that addressed it. So um, I got in touch with the UN Women, um, and it just so happened that they were pushing a Safe Spaces Now program in music, and we ended up being their flagship, well, their, their pilot for what a safe space in music should look like. So um, we came up with a whole PR campaign where we got some of the biggest names in music Eddie Golden, Mabel, Clara Anfo, um, loads, loads of people to basically sign our, our letters to the industry outlining what was, what was wrong here and what we could do for it. Um, and then off the back of that, um, set out four ways in which our festival would become a, a safer space. Um, and then rolled that campaign out, and now it's been adopted in a, well, a similar version of it has been adopted by over 100 festivals um, last year, and, and we're still like kind of forth, at the forefront of driving that change. So for me, that was a massive achievement because people at our festival genuinely felt safer. And, and that as an, as an event organiser, that's something that I was yeah, incredibly proud of. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. I know loads of businesses talk about stuff like this, but rarely do they move the needle like that. So I guess, like, how, how did you move the needle? Obviously, you did the partnership with the UN, but it must have been incredibly difficult to do that. It was, it was one of the toughest things I've ever done. Um, just because working with, with uh, an organisation like that, there's a lot of red tape, and I've had all these grand ideas and had to scale them back, but it was because I was so passionate about it and, and wanted to, to really be a driver of this change, I was working overtime on making it happen. Um, and there were many moments where my team were like, 
like we can we can let this go you like don't have but i was like we're so, we're so close we, we we created such impact with it that i just i yeah i just pushed it through and and yeah i was really glad that i did and like practically i guess did you did you set out like templates i guess for like other festivals to follow suit like did you, i guess you made it open source in that sort of way yeah so i mean my plan actually was to create a kind of a festival wide body with it um and and I wanted, well, the idea was to get everybody behind this, the same sort of four pillars. Um, what I did afterwards, I ended up doing a lot of um, consulting and speaking and, and, and getting and sharing my knowledge with it, but trying to get all these different festivals and corporations behind the same voice was, was quite tough. Um, and, and also getting them, getting the UN to move at the speed that they needed to move at for the next year was, was very difficult. So at least we've, got, we've kind of got the blueprint and they moved from that. But um, in, a, in my ideal scenario, we'd have had this kind of blanket policy across the UK festival space, which potentially still happen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it was a tough ask. You ready for another deep question? <laughs> Why do, you, why do you think like you, as it, like, because loads of people obviously do festivals, loads of people build businesses, but I guess why do you put it on yourself to have this level of responsibility where you try to make changes in the industry where you know, it might not potentially lead to more immediate profits, but like, and, and it's not just this, it's also LGBT and, and other issues that you're very vocal on. So like, what makes you feel that urge in order to actively make a change? I feel like festivals are like a microcosm of like wider society and they're also a place where you can really shift culture and um, reach more people than are, than are just on your site because there's because of social media effectively so I feel like we've got a, a duty to really put our identity and 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 thought into this into this event that we're creating um, and and just for me it's just so important that these issues are, are spoken about here because it, they do re reach wider society. Like people do talk about the fact that we've booked gender balanced lineups, and then you see other festivals moving in that space. I think you can shift industry through what we're doing, and I think that's why brands pay so much money to be involved with festivals because you can speak to audiences that are receptive, they're having a good time, um, but you can also be able, you can also push push messages and and ideas onto to them in in your own space that you can control, and it's. You don't often get to control that many people in real life. Was that was that a motivation of yours? I guess when you first started this festival and like with your endeavours within business, because that's massively overarching, right? Like, was it was it your ambition, or was it just like a position that you found yourself in? And it's like, hang on, this isn't correct. Like, we can we can change the way things are done now. Yeah, I mean, when I started this, I had no idea I was going to end up doing festivals and well, this this long. Um, it was more fun. It was a hobby. It was. It was about bringing people together. It was about sharing different music that other people weren't, that, that Cambridge wasn't ready for at the time. It was pushing culture onto them. Um, and that was one of the initial bits. But then when I got to, over, over COVID, I had to take a year out. Obviously the festival industry and live events was, was, was significantly damaged by that. And I, I, we had a bit of time to reflect and think. And I was like, well, what are, we, what are I really doing this for? How can I, how can this, be more than just uh, a fun day out, what, and 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 that that's where that's where we landed on the safe spaces. Would you say that's like another phase of like redefinition in your life? Totally, yeah. And it was the, the redefinition came from having time to think. Like everyone thinks 
or everyone that sees my Instagram thinks that I literally just turn up on site a week before and, and this festival just happens. But um, like I, we, we work on next year's festival before this year's festival is finished. So there's never really any downtime when you're doing it. I've got a team of seven that work full time um, and it's, it's, you're always rolling and, and waiting for this event to come. But because COVID happened and we could kind of take stock and reflect on what we're doing, we were able to re redefine what we were and redefine what we stood for. And I guess, like, personally, what's, what's next for you? Uh, it's a big question at the moment. I'm, I've, uh, last year, like the last few years of doing festivals have been really tough. Um, I've learned a lot about the wider industry and, and how the music industry operates. As we sold part of the business to Sony um, over COVID as well. So I've been um, able to see that and then the live event industry itself. So um, I'm having a, a great time with it and I think there's still more we can do, but I think I need to expand my horizons slightly because as I say, like this is a kind of a big redefining moment because a lot of this has been done with friends and I've, 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 I've lived my life with, with, my, with my, my best friends doing this. But is, I'm, recently I've looked at it and said, is this what I really want to do forever? Um, so I'm kind of in a phase of looking left and right and giving myself time that I learned from 2020 to redefine what I want. So it's kind of up in the air at the moment, but um, we'll see what the future is. This, yeah, because it's a very interesting one because you're... I mean, I've, I've interviewed a bit more background, I guess. Like, I've interviewed people from all different backgrounds. Like, I, I spoke to one of your friend um, earlier saying I've maybe recorded about 200 podcasts in total. Like, it's a lot of, it's a lot of people that I've spoken to, and you come from an extremely varied sort of background, and what you're doing now is extremely varied, right? Like, you have, you know, you've been on reality TV, you do modelling, like, you, you're an advocate for all these different, like, amazing causes, you have your festival, but I guess, like, it's very, when you dig down deeper, it's like what actually motivates you when you're doing all these different things. Yeah, and I think, I think um, I was motivated a lot by trying to just create a lasting impact um, and doing something that was going to change other people's lives in the process. I think what I've managed to do with, with the festival primarily is, is give a platform for people that didn't have a platform there and go on to do amazing things. And may, may that be an artist, may that be a video creator, may that be someone that's worked in my like, artist liaison team that's now running an artist liaison company, that sort of thing. There's, it's, we can provide a lot of opportunities and that, that really motivates me to just keep going on that front. Um, but yeah, as I said, I, I do vary things. I, know I, I get bored quite quickly. I like to try my hand at things. I like to like, experience life to the full. And, and, and my other endeavours that you mentioned there, modelling, reality TV, DJing, have opened so many doors to different circles that I'd never be in. And that just expands my whole pers perspective on what, what life is. I think that's a brilliant way to, to end it, actually. So um, I don't know what time that is, but I think, I think we're good. Uh, do we have time for Q&A? Q&A? Yeah, all good? OK. Has anyone got any questions? Yeah? Um, what's been the hardest moment? How did you overcome it? The hardest moment for me was last year's festival. I had Little Wayne booked um, for his first show back into the UK for 14 years. And we had built our festival around this moment and kind of we'd spent a lot of money on lawyers getting him his visa sorted and um, 
Yeah, we, we'd made national press left, right and centre. And then a week beforehand, um, Priti, Patel, Priti Patel denied his visa. Um, so there was a lot of backlash, a lot of personal backlash on me, um, like on, on my social media and, and whatnot. And we, I didn't know if we were going to survive it, but we managed to book another artist and replace it. And the show went ahead and it went really well. But I think that pressure from so many people just kind of like, gunning for me was um was personally very tough because you can't hide behind a, a business with that it was like my name was there and um I, my, my number was getting out and people were <laughs> calling me was, so that I think that personal attack was very tough I think business-wise you can deal with it because you're protected by a company but when it's coming directly at you um that was a lot when it comes to innovation um like what is a good setting for you to kind of That's a lovely question. That's a lovely question, yeah. I think, I think, again, innovation comes from being able to, like, take your head out from the day-to-day -day running sort of thing and giving your yourself some space. Um, I like to take myself away and kind of detach from a lot so I can really think about, think about things. And that's, um, that's, that's the way I do it. And it's just, yeah, allowing the business to have, like, moments where you can just, like, really focus everybody and, like, make that the goal for that for that moment is like all right we need to think outside the box and think about what's next but if with with every business i suppose you can just get caught up in the day to day running it's the same as life you can get caught up with the day to day running of life um, but you have to just set that time apart i think on a follow up to that lovely question actually how do you how do you detach like that's the word you used from because there's so much noise like it's not not just like in your day job but also you know on social media right like how do you how do you switch off how do you detach Get rid of the damn phone. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah um, I, when I do detach, I like get, turn, turn the phone off. It's, it's become, can become so self-consuming. Um, I spend a lot of time on the phone because of work and because of a number of... I need, I need, it, I need it to survive, but actually to detach, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I'll speak about the shipwreck. When I went on that, I was three months without my phone on a desert island near Fiji. And it was like one of the most surreal experiences just to exist without having to... I, had, I, I worked, I had like a, a, a twitch sort of thing that I was going to my pocket to look for my phone all the time um, just because we're just so, so connected to it all the time. But it was, that, was the, that was probably the best thing I got out of that experience is just being able to realise you can exist without it and, and life goes on. Yeah, it's actually crazy. OK, yeah, I've got one question there. Have you? Um, yeah, I've um, given my age. It's not bad for school. <laughs> no, not at all. I've probably doubled the age. But, but I particularly love Cambridge Club because, you know, um, a few years ago I'd never even been to a festival, if I'm honest. Now I'm a regular festival, festival goer as a result of your festival and introduced a load of my friends to it. So uh, you did an amazing job, I have to say. It was exemplary, the whole, whole experience. But I want to know who influences you. Who influences me? Thank you so much. You've actually made my night with that. Um, and I'm, I'm glad, glad you enjoy the Cambridge Club. Um, who influences me? My influences have changed a lot um, over the years. I've, there was a phase where I was uh, massively influenced by some of my favourite rappers, uh, like Jay-Z and 50 Cent and Rick Ross, those guys that have kind of taken their career and their music career and, and taken it into business. Um, more recently, I've been influenced by people that are just genuinely 
for like fulfilling their purpose and 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 just doing stuff that makes them genuinely happy and not not doing it for anyone else so i'm always i'm literally always i'm i'm always looking for people that are just kind of have found their purpose and are and are and are living it and that um I'm I'm looking for more role models in this space, but because um, they're actually quite difficult to find, I think. Um, but yeah, that's another redefinition, I think. It's because they might not have a following, right? They might not have. They're, yeah. they're harder to find those yeah. people. Like, but you're right. Like, whenever you meet someone and they're genuinely happy in what they're doing, and you can tell they're fulfilling their purpose, like it's it's, it's one of the biggest joys in life, I think. 100%. Um, yeah, question there. Sorry, do you mind speaking a bit louder? Yeah, sorry. Uh, you're in the inter entertainment industry. Um, what's your view on drugs? Ooh. <laughs> uh, safe space? Um. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is being recorded, just saying. In the sector, you get lots of drugs and you're running a business. And in London, you go 80% of the people you meet are on something. No, that's all right. I can answer that. I think, as I said earlier, like festi festivals are a microcosm of wider society, um, and like you can't you, you can't expect a festival to take place without that happening. I think we have a responsibility as organisers to acknowledge that and not try and hide from it. I think it's important that you put the appropriate provisions in. Um, I do think, yeah, the entertainment industry, the music industry, the live events industry is probably more proportioned. There's a high proportion of drugs involved in it because there's people want to elevate their their state of of enjoyment in a way. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's something is is a is 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 a is a, is a something that's going to happen, and you just have to deal with it and and be aware that it's it's there. Would you rather my deep questions or that question? <laughs> that was tough. That one. <laughs> Who let him in? <laughs> What's it? <laughs> so when I'm working, um, I think I agree with you. You should definitely have a very clear mind from it. And yeah, I mean, it's I don't I don't think anyone on my team would would ever dare do drugs while while working. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Further, sorry? Please correct me if I'm wrong. You said you want to go further globally with your business, right? Do you think you might go back to the first career which your dad wanted you to make a banker? No. <laughs> no, I wouldn't because I, I, the, the problem I have with the banking is not, it's not the career, it's, the, it's that I've, I've had the taste of working for myself and, and, and creating my own thing. And, and now working with a big corporation like Sony, I've, I've seen what restrictions do with me. I, I don't work well with that, and that's just me. I, I just know that that's not something I'd want to go into, and I, could, I can work with big companies, but I always want to be my own boss and have control of my own, own, own future. So, um, unless I own a bank. <laughs> <laughs> but, because you say it's a recross, Jay-Z, 
because if you look at their careers, right, they started in the entertainment industry, but they've reverse engineered to become sort of like bankers because they're now in the space of like acquiring other businesses. And if you're an acquirer, you need banking skills, and most of these guys have now become informal bankers. So if looking at that way, do you think, that's why I was asking, do you think I think I'd probably have the skill set to do it. I think, I think what's really impressed me about those guys is that they hire, they work with people that are better than them in certain spaces. Like Jay-Z is not a lawyer, but he will have the best lawyers in the world. And if I want to end up going into acquiring, acquiring other businesses, then I'll work with really good bankers. I don't think I need to necessarily teach myself to become a banker, but I would want to inform myself on the basic knowledge to be able to understand what those guys that are better than me are, are doing on my behalf, you know? I think the question maybe was like, would you want to diversify into something else? Oh, 100% I'd like to diverse into, diversify into other businesses. And, um, and yeah, I, I, as I said, like, I, I'm a creative. I, 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 I envision things. I can, I can see problems and, and, and resolutions. But I'm, I'm more than um, humble enough to, to know where I need support on, on bits where I'm not that good at. Um, and all not professionally. Like, there's, I, I've, I've come out of uni and never had to work in a professional environment in my life, really. Um, and that is gonna, that's led, led me to have some shortcomings. But um, at least being aware of them is kind of the first step to be able to overcome that. Yeah, 100%. I thought that was a good question, actually. Yeah, it was. Yeah, well not? Uh, any more? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I turned down a lot of sponsors in the last couple of years for, because I didn't agree with their um, company policy or morals. I mean, there was there was a time when I think I think well, those poor guys actually, the guys that run um, Brew Dog, they their CEO was under a lot of scrutiny because of yeah, um, James Watt. Yeah, I mean, he's been cleared cleared apparently of all of it since then. But like, we had a big deal on the table with that and turned it down and. Um, Tinder actually wanted to sponsor the Safe Spaces Now um, activation um, with the UN, but they didn't pass UN due diligence because of the way they can't be operated. And um, so we said no to that. And um, yeah, it, it, the sponsors definitely reflect the brand. And like, I've grown our brand on doing deals with bigger brands. So, I mean, a couple of years ago, I did a deal with Doritos on a, nation, a massive national campaign, and they had no right. We had no right doing that deal. We were on billboards all across the country as like the strawberries and cream and Doritos, but that positioned us as, as, a, as a bigger player than we were. I've done deals with really cool um, clothing brands and did like football kits with Nike and that sort of thing. But like working with brands that can help elevate us and put us in the right space are super important. I mean, on the Cambridge club front, um, that audience really associate, is, is, is like a Waitrose audience, so I wanted to, Cambridge Club was, a, was quite an, in, in its infancy, but I did the deal with Waitrose and that put that, that festival in the position where I want it to move forward into. So yeah, I'm selective because they do um, reflect on, on where the brand is and what position I want to put it in. I guess for like people listening, I guess, like in the audience, um, when they're starting their own businesses and they've got certain values like you just expressed there, like I guess how important would you say it is to, I guess, espouse those values in your, in your daily business? Because they... You, your audience might not share the same values as you in some ways, or 
I don't know, maybe, maybe they do because you're building it on the, the same sort of customer persona, but yeah, just like keen to hear your thoughts there. I'd like to think that our, our audience see where we come from with it. I think we, we, we're quite vocal about what, that we're vocal about issues that I'm, I care about. Like, for example, the we, a safe space for LGBTQ. Um, the, the the UN project was, was something we allowed about. We, we support black music. Um, and I feel like our audience, then they do understand that, and our crowd is our crowd is receptive to that sort of thing. And I think one of the one of the key things we did for the safe spaces um, project is that we made everyone sign a code of conduct when they bought their tickets. So like everyone was faced with seeing what we believed in and that just that intention and that like just just the awareness then led, led people to just act differently on site so i think it's really key for us that we do that we do have a personality behind it the industry is is owned by kind of corporations that don't have much personality behind them and um as, as long as i'm still in the business strawberries and cream will have my ethos um ingrained in it how important would you say, sorry, I will like, give you a chance to ask questions, but how, how important would you say is that to like, people in the audience like, starting their own businesses when it comes to, like, yeah? I think it's, it's, it's about integrity, really. It's like if you're putting your time and effort into something, you want that to be as much of a reflection of yourself as, as it is. Um, I think if you're going to be working on something all the time, you, you want to believe in it as, with, your, with your whole heart and... Um, it's, it's, it's key. I, I'd, I'd struggle to, to work on something that I just didn't align with, you know? Um, and it's, and I, it, I just don't think it would, would be very successful because you've got to put everything into a business um, like that and, and being able to align with your, your own goals and intentions behind it is, is, is key. I completely agree with you. Okay, any more questions? Yeah, one over there. Yeah, sure. So this is this changes every year as, as kind of budgets get bigger. Um, at the beginning, it was very guerrilla tactics. It was trying to do everything on a well. We still try and do everything on shooting, but it's it's you're forced at the early stages to be very creative about what can you do for low money that's going to have massively high impact. Um, even this year, last year, I covered myself in cream and strawberry jam uh, behind one of the Cambridge colleges to kind of get get like virality on TikTok, um, which didn't cost anything, just my dignity. Did, but did, but it, did, it, <laughs> did it work though or were you just like... Yeah, like the brand were really happy, they loved it. Um, and then, yeah, so like we, 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 do, we do, I think there's, there's ways to create like moments that are, are gonna make, make noise. And um, I think we, like only until recently we've had like marketing agencies and PR agencies, we've done it all previously in house. Um, it's just, the market, marketing, you can spend so much money on it, and brands spend so much money on it as well. But you can do, you can grow brands with with with, with a shoestring. Um, it's just it's just how creative you can be with that. Um, that has changed over time. 
At the beginning, I was the face, I was the party boy, I was out everywhere, I was shouting strawberries and creams to the rooftops and making friends with everyone and being in every club in London and Cambridge and making sure that you, you knew that I had a music festival. Um, over time, that has developed into networking and like, and, and building actual relationships and, and, and um, business rapport with people. Um, and I think that's definitely where like, my skill set is. Is like, I think it, people, I do, I do all the brand partnerships now. So that's kind of my, my main speciality. Um, and I think brands like the fact that my brand is attached to me. So like it's, they, they, they're with the source, you know? So that, that, I think that's, that's where my, my key skill is. And it's just being personable and, and, and treating people like people rather than treating people like they, they're, they're part of a corporation. And it's just, I can, yeah. We, I get along with people most of the time. I think that's been my lucky thing that I've brought to the business. Okay, any, oh, there's one of the. In, South African music is actually my favorite genre. Uh, South African house and Amapiano. We put a Amapiano stage on two years ago, um, where we were booking. We booked we booked English DJs that were playing that that sound because flying people over was is, is obviously a massive cost. Um, but I'm, I'm just amazed to see how much that sound has, trans, has, has, has had an impact on the UK space in the last um, two years. Um, with Major Leagues, Uncle Waffles, that sort of, like, it's, 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 come, from, it's come from real, like, culture, and, and I think it's, it's now transcending into, like, mainstream space. I think if I was looking globally, I'd like to go to places where there were music scenes like, like that. South Africa's been on my list. Um, Nigeria's been on the list. Um, it's places where you can really... My, my whole brand has been built on bringing up up-and-coming talent, and it's like, that's the only way we could afford it, to be honest, at the time. Um, and, it's, and it's just celebrating and championing that, that underground. Because, the, because it, I mean, we booked Central C for £500. He's, he's now, like, the, the hottest artist in the UK, he's, 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 he's streaming in America, he's, he's enormous. It's like, but that, for us, being part of that journey is, is so key, and it's giving them the opportunity then to go on and do more. And as I said, that's, what, that's where I generate a buzz from this from. But I, I'm going, sorry, going back to your point a little bit, it's, it's also those places need to be ready for, for this sort of event to go. Like, I've, 
not gone to Nigeria yet because even still putting on a big scale event, the infrastructure isn't quite there. The culture is not quite ready to book tickets in advance and not just turn up at the door expecting to get in because you end up with problems like they've had at, at, in Afro Nation in Ghana. So it's about timing it right um, and doing it on a scale where, where that each, each country is ready for. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Redefined podcast. We want to bring you the best stories from the top change makers across the globe. To make that possible, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening and leave a comment or review. It really is that simple. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you for the next episode.